So, a uh, couple years ago, this kid was on spring break, college student was on spring break, and he goes home and he sleeps in and then gets up and his father's getting ready to take off. And so, um, uh, his father says, well, what are you going to do today? He says, well, I'm just going to relax and spend the day here. And he says, what are you going to be doing? And he says, well, and you have to understand, there's a elderly couple that lived next to them that this couple, they would take care of them because they were just very weak. So the father says, well, the oriental guy next door needs to be taken to his medical appointment, so I'm going to spend uh, all day driving him around. And the son gets furious because, in case you didn't know, you should never use the word oriental. Um, I only discovered this a couple years ago, but I guess that's now considered a bad word, a prejudice word. So the son goes off on his father, you never use that word, you never call people that. Uh, that is bigoted and ignorant um, and just lays into his father. And his father just doesn't react and says, I don't know why you're showing me such hatred. I don't know what I've done, but I've got to now spend the rest of my day taking care of the Asian guy next door while you sit home. Um, and the son's kind of odd. Like, for the son, he thought he was making this moral point. How dare he do that? But he's sitting on his rear end. It's his father who's giving up everything to take care of the Asian guy next door. And so just because you have moral outrage against somebody else does not mean that you're somehow morally superior. The son is ignorant about his own hatred that he's displaying towards his father and the fact that you're not helping the old guy. That's what your dad is doing. Um, and the son, he thinks he's morally superior. Where really, in my opinion, he's the most blind of all. And I don't think he's a bad person. I'm just saying that is so common among people, especially religious people, that it's so much easier to blame you people for your sins and you're the cause rather than us look at ourselves. And people do that all the time. Um, and anyhow, I just always think, well, shouldn't there be some point in your life you want to know your own sins? Not blame them, but know your own sins. And that's what this weekend is about. Um, the scrutinies, that's what we're going to be praying this Mass for the next three weeks. Ancient custom that Catholics pray, pray the scrutinies. We pray, God, open my eyes up. Let me see my own sins. It's called scrutinies because you're praying the Holy Spirit will scrutinize our lives. The problem is that scrutiny, like I, I love using the phrase scrutinies because I think it scares the bejeebers out of those entering the church, which I'm all for. Um, but like it is scary to, to see your own sins. I know a, a bishop, I've met him, uh, he seems to be a nice guy and I was in his diocese very polite, but I was um, at, well, I was having some beers with the priest in that diocese. And um, you always wait to the second beer and then you find out the truth. That's my secret. <laughs> so we're having a second beer. And so I asked him, I said, well, you know, I, I met your bishop. He seems very nice. Uh, what's he like? And they all said, well, he is very nice. He's a very nice bishop. But 
the rule in their diocese is that the bishop does not ever want to hear the truth. So, so you're only allowed to agree with them. And I think it's kind of funny. One guy at the table actually went to the seminary with the bishop. And he had said, um, says, I can tell you this, he's a nice guy, but he will never want to experience any sort of pain whatsoever. Well, the problem with that is, I mean, is that if you want to know the truth, it's painful. Nobody likes the truth. <laughs> My dad used to joke, you never take the truth out in public. Um, nobody wants to hear it. And you think people want to hear about their own faults? They don't. They'd rather blame other people. So when he said, oh, this bishop is, will never suffer anything. And another priest said, no, we, we learned. Like, this priest was on a committee with a bishop. And if you serve the bishop on a committee, whatever the bishop says, you're kind of obligated to say, yes, that is a great idea. That was great. Great, great, great. And I said, well, what would happen if you disagreed with the bishop and said, I don't think that that's a good idea. And this other elderly priest laughed and he says, oh, I tried that once. I said to the bishop, I said, canonically, I don't think you can do that. And he said, afterwards, I was told, you don't need to come to any more meetings. <laughs> and he's not a bad guy. He's a nice guy. But my point being, I don't want us to be nice. I want us to be holy. And to really become holy, you need to examine your life. You need to have the Holy Spirit examine your life. That's what we pray at the scrutinies. Please, God, I, it's painful, but let me know what are my sins. And I have to say, I love this about Catholicism. For those people entering the church, we show them year after year after year, we're seeking a deeper conversion. We want to know the truth, even if it's painful. Tell us the truth. We're going to do this for three weeks. That's your homework. This week, say a prayer every week that, wow, open my eyes. And luckily, I actually it was about two years ago, during the scrutinies, I was praying it. And you know, this sounds kind of strange. I rate my sins. And if you ever asked me, are you judgmental? I would have said, I am the least judgmental person around. And then I was praying the scrutinies, and that week it was so obvious. I'm actually a very judgmental person. I just don't let you know it. Um, and the shocking part is, after the scrutinies, I realized that's my second most common sin, is that I'm a judgmental person. If I want to be a better priest, shouldn't I know that? that those things need to be pruned from me. Or I was once, um, I know this guy, I like the guy, but uh, he was dying. I went to go anoint him. And so we anointed, I don't mean to be cruel, but I anointed him. And then, you know, he's clearly coming to the very end of his life. And he says, you know, I don't have any regrets. What great mother of God? Who says that? <laughs> so he said, I have no regrets. Now, in movies, I hate when they do that. When they say, I have no regrets. Well, then you're a shallow person. Anybody who has some depth to them, they have some regrets. So when the dying guy says, I have no regrets, I didn't mean to be rude, but I said, really? Because your wife divorced you because you were cheating on her. Your children... They don't speak to you. You're estranged from all your children. You don't have any regrets? And he says, well, yeah, there's that. 
That's a big that. Um, but like, if you want to become a great person, I, I, we're all sinners. The question is, can we improve? And you have to be able to see it. I want to see my sins. I don't want to say, oh, I have no regrets. That's a kind of lie and phoniness. You might be nice, but you won't be holy. And so ancient Christians did this thing that, wow, during Lent, for three weeks, we pray the scrutinies. This week, the only thing you pray is your personal sins. We'll change it next week. Just let me know what my sins are. I want to be a better priest. But how can the guy dying, don't you want to be anybody who's a great mother or father or coach? Don't you have, want to look at yourself and think, ah, I wish I could be better. So we pray the scrutinies. God reveal. And all the readings deal with that. Where Jesus, he comes and the people say, oh, did you hear what happened? Pilate killed these people. And Jesus says, now, wait a minute. Do you think that because they were killed, they're a bunch of sinners and you're not? Do you think you're better than they are? You know, repent. When he says repent, it means it doesn't, well, turn your life around. Everybody's going to die. It doesn't matter how you die. You could be die in this terrorist act or this pillar fill, fell on these people in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter how you die. It matters how you live. Why wouldn't you want to be your best version of yourself? That's what he says. Um, so, like, they think it's about blaming other people. It's not about who to blame for their sins. It's about us taking responsibility. Let us know God. So then he gives a parable of the tree, where it's a fig tree. In case you didn't know, fig trees symbolize religion. And you're the tree, I'm the tree, we're all trees. And God comes out and is looking at this tree to see if there's any fruit. And the Old Testament says the fruit is the fruits of love and justice and mercy. And he's looking at this tree, a person. Well, there's no fruit being born in him. And so um, he said, I've been waiting three years. Three years is important. Jesus had been preaching for three years. And the master of the vineyard says, cut it down. And the gardener, which is Christ, says, no, let me aerate the soil. Let me prune off the dead parts. Let me give it some fertilizer. It stay, still may bear some fruit. We're the tree. We want Christ to aerate us. We need Christ to prune the parts in us that are dead. Um, give us some fertilizer. I am thankful. I've received a lot of fertilizer over my life. Um, and you just pray that it makes us bloom with the fruits of love and justice. So this is the week where we pray, prune us of everything that is sucking the life out of us. Maybe God will reveal, wow, I'm a very judgmental person or I have this problem. Why live in denial? Um, or even the first reading has the same idea. The first reading is Moses seeing the burning bush. But to understand why it's Moses seeing the burning bush, you have to know the whole chapter. And there's this theme, it's a great theme. This phrase keeps coming up with Moses where it'll say, quote unquote, and he saw, and he saw, and he saw. And it starts with Moses, he's really kind of ignorant. He's, you know, under, lived, grew up with Pharaoh. And for the first time in his life, 
he sees slavery, and he says, and he saw slavery. Well, the slavery was always there. He just noticed it for the first time. Uh, and then he does this, he kills somebody, uh, runs away, and Moses, he, and he saw Moses was a coward. Then he goes, and he's, there's this water, and these women are getting harassed at this well, and Moses sees that he's a coward, so he sees the women getting abused, and he stands up for them for the first time. So he saw slavery, he sees his own cowardice, he sees women getting abused, and he starts, the more he sees his own sins, the more he changes. So he becomes better and better until one day, now this is when he's changed, um, one day he's on the mountain, he sees the, this bush burning with the presence of God. Now what's important about that is that the bush was always burning. It's just Moses saw it for the first time. And the whole mountain is burning with the presence of God. The name of the mountain is Sinai, which means burning. All creation is burning with the presence of God. Um, Moses just noticed one little corner for the first time. And then later, after this, Moses is going to see the complete glory of God. And the idea is this. If you want to see the burning presence of God throughout the world, we celebrate that at Easter. First be like Moses, and he saw his own cowardice. He saw slavery. If your eyes are open to see your own faults, you're moving towards seeing the presence of God everywhere. So we as Catholics before Easter, if Easter we can say, oh, we can see the presence of God. Let us first see our own sins. And the name of uh, the season we're in, Lent, um, is actually not its proper name. The name for Lent is actually 40. So if you go to Latin or Italian or Spanish, this season is called 40. Uh, we call it Lent because the old English meaning lengthening, that we're seeing more light and less darkness. Um, but it's actually 40. And the 40, you know, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Uh, there in the desert, 40 years. But the early church, and I like this, the early church made this uh, point that, and I didn't know this, that it takes 40 weeks in the womb for a child to be born. So after 40 days of Lent, we're praying that all of us are reborn. So not just the RCA people, that they'll come into the church are reborn. The idea of this was we show, we show them this is what rebirth looks like. It starts by being able to see your own sins. So I beg you this week, do your homework. Pray your eyes are open, see your own faults, so that maybe in 40 days or at the end of Easter, we'll truly see the example, we'll, uh, we'll see Christ burning in the world. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.